Hi. Hello. I'm Katarina, and you've just joined Creators Abroad's podcast. Are you ready to take risks, find opportunities, and spark your imagination? That's why I'm here, to be part of your creative journey and share tips with you on how to build a new life anywhere in the world. And most importantly, make a living as a creator. To do that, I invite awesome creatives from all walks of life and corners of the globe to discuss one important topic close to our hearts. If you want to find out how to become an extraordinary artist and build your dream career, hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I release one every second week to give you ample time to apply everything you learn. In the meantime, you can stay in touch with me on Instagram or TikTok at creators.abroad. Now I have a question for you. What are you really good at? I've heard this said so many times within the creator economy, all those YouTube tutorials, podcast trainings, and even when I consult creative, this is one of the first things I want to know. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Because now you can legitimately make a living off of your passion. Media has become decentralized and you can become the expert on something as specific as whiteboards on platforms like YouTube, Spotify, TikTok, and so forth. Basically, the question of what are you really good at will lead you to reaching that pinnacle of excellence. But within that journey, there are so many steps and pitfalls. It's the same in a pure hard-nosed business context too. Now, the trick is, it's not just what you are really good at, but what do people need as well? You can't, unfortunately, have the one without the other. To delve into this from an entrepreneurial point of view, I've invited serial entrepreneur and keynote speaker, Rail Bricker, to discuss investing and developing our talent so that we can achieve business excellence in the creative industries. Welcome to the show, Rail. Thank you, Kat. Nice to be here. Brilliant. So I'm really excited for your film trailer. Can you please introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer to our listeners? You can call the film maybe the business excellence guy. I dodged a bullet. Not literally, but figuratively, I dodged a bullet. In 2013, while training for a marathon after a season of triathlons, I dodged a bullet. They found out that I had two blocked arteries and that changed my perspective at age 49 on what to do with the world. So the journey up until that point had been about growing and running businesses. The journey from that point on is about sharing that journey and helping other people on their journey to creating excellence in both business and in life. Scene one, discover your talent. Now, it's really easy for us to talk about talent without actually knowing what is our talent. Before we dig deeper into this question though, its relation and its valuation in the creator economy, I want to discuss talent and community first because I think that's where we kind of get told what we're good at first. So what, just coming back to your background a little bit, often our communities, which dictates which of our talents we consider important. You were born in South Africa and then moved to Australia later on in life. What is your opinion about talent valuation in different countries and communities? Um, I think that I was lucky enough that both South Africa and Australia, and Australians, you know, in their typical slang lingo, you know, you know, have that good on your mate, you know, mm. you're giving it a go. That's the attitude in Australia. It, giving it a go is encouraged. And so any talent that you have is encouraged, is is valued. Um, you know, come growing up in South Africa as a white male in South Africa, your talent was valued. Unfortunately, growing up through most of my childhood, um, and into my 20s under the apartheid government, we didn't really have a system that valued um, the, the majority of our population, the black population, and their talent. And so it's only become of recent times, the last 25 years, that a country like South Africa has actually valued the, the depth of of talent that people have, and the, particularly um, amongst the, the majority population in South Africa, their 
creative talent. Their creative talent has really been unleashed over the last 25 years. But so that's from a country perspective. Being a, a white male, ex-South African, now Australian Jewish guy, the Jewish communities worldwide value talent. The, the Jewish ethos is one of valuing business and business entrepreneurship and, and giving it a go and having a crack at it and, and, and seeing if you can succeed and, 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 and doing it you know, under a whole ethical framework of, of doing the right thing. But you're yeah, absolutely valued. So that, that's the environment I grew up in. My parents were very conservative. They actually were of the, you need a house with a picket fence and 2.2 kids and 1.7 dogs, and you need to get a salary at the end of every month. You know, I'm 57. I've earned a salary for less than four years of my life. So that was not me. I knew that from day one. It, it was a bone of contention with my parents, but yet my father in and of himself was desperately trying to be an entrepreneur and never really realized that. Yes, because this question pops up so many times in my conversations, and I think it's really important where it depends on your kind of like the context where you grow, grow up in what they value, like what they think you need to do later on. So they could say, well, it's nice and that you're basic, maybe playing music or you're interested in art or something like that, but just get a normal job and that will be more secure and better. But then the thing is how you find your own way within that. So just thinking a little bit more about community again, you mentioned that what helped with your integration into Australian life is the strength of the Jewish community, which is interesting. I immediately thought that that's probably why you went into like an entrepreneurial route. But then what is strength of community really? And why is it important for achieving professional milestones? So, so you need a creative um, group around you. You can't, no one is an island. I mean, there are very few people, you know, Richard Branson famously said, screw it, let's do it. But a lot of other people don't, you know, you, you do need to create support around you. Even Richard Branson with that approach still had a supportive team around him. And, and so the, the strength of community is interesting. Um, and, and I mentioned my landing in Australia. We landed in, in a Jewish community in Perth of about 6,000 people. So not a, not a massive community, but centered around some, some really big organizations within the community. But what happened is everybody just embraced us. And so our landing in a new country, we didn't have a Sabbath meal at home unless it was out of choice for the first 18 months we were in Perth because people were inviting us out. We were the newbies in town. And that connection, that network, actually got me my first job. And that with the advice from that person, who's now a multi-multi-millionaire himself, um, and he said to me, go and get a job for six to 18 months when you get to Australia to find out the way the world works in Australia before you go out on your entrepreneurial journey again. And that was probably the best piece of advice from a community member that I was given when I landed in Australia, was that the, the worst thing you can do landing in a new country is, is arrive and go, hey, wow, I'm here. I'm going to show you all how to do something. No, that's, you, you do need to understand the way of the world because every country does things differently. And that was the best piece of advice that I was given. And that helped me from a community point of view, put my entrepreneurial, you know, bent aside for 18 months and go, let me find out what happens in Australia. Let me find out when you go to a networking function, what people expect to hear from you, not just talking about yourself. How do you integrate? How do you get to understand the local sport? All those things, strength of community. The fact that I went out and got a friend to explain to me all the rules of Australian football, which is weird because you're in the UK, football's a round ball. In Australia, it's that funny-shaped oval ball, mm -hmm. one of the three rugby codes here. And 
uh, just by understanding that gave me another strength of community, gave me a community of people who try to understand and embrace football. And so you have to do all those things to be an entrepreneur, to actually integrate into society. You have to stand out, but you also have to integrate. Yeah, so it's such an important point you make about just taking a little bit of time to get to know your surroundings. So this is not necessarily if you move country, but it can also be when you just move to a new town. But it's really understanding that it's not going to be exactly the same and you can't just pick up where you left off unless you're employed by a company. See, that's where it's different. But when you have your own thing going, like, for example, if I just uh, take it back to some maybe the creator economy, say you're a blogger or one of those podcaster, YouTuber, you know, um, if you have for the greater part of your life lived somewhere and you you kind of created content in within that context and then you go to a completely new place it's about really discovering and this is why it's a good thing because it pushes you in a creative expression sense as well and then of course if you bring the entrepreneurial side to it is understanding that how can you use your creative talents in a like to set up a business and then help the people around you because it's not all equally evaluated, like what they want and what they need, which is one of the hardest things, of course. Yeah, everyone assumes that that because English is spoken in South Africa as one of the primary languages and, in, and English is spoken in the UK as a primary language and English is spoken in Australia, everyone assumes that those countries are the same and they're not. And so... So uh, yes, if you're a, a an influencer blogger, and 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 you you know your your content is is about yourself. It's about your talent. Let's call it. Let's say you are you know producing music videos or commentaries on the world or commentaries on something. That's okay. You can do that from anywhere. But as soon as you try and apply, let's call it the African context to the Australian situation. Uh, just to make political commentary in Australia, which is so different from South Africa, requires a completely different mindset. And so if you're an influencer or a blogger and you would have said certain things in South Africa that were politically correct, coming to Australia or the UK saying those same things, you would be trolled heavily because it may not be politically correct. Yeah. And I was just wondering from your perspective, because I think one of the things that we come across a lot and we now have like kind of this middle ground of the like what I call the well, everyone calls it the creator economy, um, but like this rising of people who actually make money online. But then you have the artists, the artist, artist, like, and then you have the business people. So you actually have these three streams. Now, what's your opinion? Do you find that? That, that there's a big difference between those three streams and from a businessman's point of view? Well, I'll, I'll quote my 17-year-old son who, you know, everyone thinks that kids are incredibly talented and, and he has got a talent. He plays a lot of instruments and he sings and all those things. But I asked him if he wanted to pursue a career in music, like go off to university to a performing arts school and do music as, as a study. And he said to me something interesting. He said he wants to keep music as his passion. And if he goes to study it, he may lose his passion for it. It was an interesting observation about artists that, that I'd never really thought about. I thought, well, you're talented at this. You want to go out and pursue it and create. And he said he wants to keep it as his passion that he can do. And he plays in a few bands and all those things. But he really wants to to keep it separate. Do I think there's a difference? No, I actually don't. I, I think I think everybody has a a talent. And every and, and a lot of people unfortunately repress their talents. They get told, like I was saying earlier, go and get a job, you know, live in that environment. That they, they hate their life. They hate their jobs. And that's not really who we're talking to on this podcast. We're talking to those who who maybe are in that situation and going, I've got this amazing talent, but I have to get up at 5 a.m. and commute for an hour and, and, and get to a job that I really dislike because it puts food on the table. And, and that's okay. Sometimes we have to make sacrifices for that sort of stuff. But, but I don't think there's a difference 
in, in anything. I mean, I realized very early on in my life, though I have a passion for things like woodwork and creative woodwork, just a hobby, I'm not good with my hands. I know that sounds weird. Every I knew early on my talent was my brain. Right? I knew that I could apply my brain to any business that I wanted to get involved with, and that's what I was going to do. I didn't ever, I, I, my first business when I was 14 was using my hands, and I realized very soon I was not a person who could make money using my hands. Okay? Yeah. So I realized what my talent was. But, but I also have said, and it's quoted in my book a few times, it doesn't matter what business you're in. I could have been selling widgets, mortgages, as I've done, or education business. It was about applying my skill and talent to that business. Yeah. And, and, and I know, you, you know, we, we've spoken about the idea of, well, how do you take your talent and, and, and passion and turn that into a business? And that's a different conversation to applying your passion or talent to any business. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. What is yours? Does your son know what he's going to study or what he wants to do? Um, yes, he's actually yes, he's going to do a a broad undergraduate degree called the PPE, philosophy, politics, and economics. And and the reason is because I'm a firm believer that any study you do is good, no matter what it is. And if you can, at a young age, broaden your mind to a whole variety of things. You're too young at 17, 18, 19. When I started studying engineering at 17, I couldn't spell engineer, let alone know what one was. But I went off to university because I had a passion for science and mathematics, didn't really have a passion. I probably said a talent. And I went off and did it. And I, 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 it taught me a lot, but I was never going to be an engineer. And so yeah, my son is pursuing a general degree in philosophy, politics, and economics. With a view to what? We don't know. Because after that, you can go into medicine in the Australian system. You can go into law. You can go into engineering. It doesn't matter. Okay. Now, say, well, he goes into one of those fields, and later on, he's suddenly like, I really want to be a musician. I finally decided, like, I want to change my career path. Is there a moment where you can say it's too late to invest in the talent that you've got or even saying that you've invested in the wrong talent or do you think any skills that you've developed in that process leading up to another decision is worthwhile? Every skill you have is worthwhile. Um, there's no doubt about that. And there's no wrong time to make that change. Um, you know, everybody has has that moment, that epiphany. Mine came at, I mean... Uh, a bit of more on my history, I guess. So my mortgage business, which has done three billion in mortgages in Australia, about a billion of that was done by me being on stage, talking to audiences who wanted to invest in property and explaining to them how property investment works, how the process of getting a mortgage and getting an investment mortgage and building a property portfolio works. So I did a billion dollars of mortgages by being on stage. And I love being on stage. In, in 1984, I won the South African District Toastmasters Championships. And as a white male growing up in South Africa, I wasn't allowed to compete internationally because of apartheid. So that kind of, but I've always had this passion for being on stage. I developed that into my business. And I think I have a talent for being on stage. And I developed it into my mortgage business. So you wouldn't normally relate a mortgage broker to someone being on stage. Um, and only when I, when I, when I uh, in 2013, when I realized, hang on, I've got to pursue my passion. And I wrote a book and I went out and became a professional speaker. So um, I pursued a talent that I had, but I hadn't actually committed to that role of making my living from stage. I had built a business, a mortgage business that I still own, but I went out and pursued the passion of making money off stage. Okay, so yeah, that's comes a little bit back to where you, you were talking about discovering your talents and then actually applying it to any kind of business as opposed to just using your, your talent for and making that your business. So is there like a to something to think about when people are maybe changing their minds in terms of what they want to do 
like how are you going to go about it are you going to just apply what you're really good at in an, in another context or various contexts or are you going to actually try and build a business from there but something else that you also said about people sorry about people who develop a passion for something and do it alongside another job so there's quite a few examples and it's a big question to ask is because it's possible you can have a normal job 9 to 5 and then also still have quite a thriving kind of side hustle if you like so yeah yeah, side, no, side hustle, a lot of young entrepreneurs that I mentor today always say to me, so what do I have to do to become an entrepreneur? And I say, well, resign from your job, but don't just do that like, and then think about what you want to do. But you have to be flexible on your feet. You, and, and yes, it's your passion and your talent, but, but actually understand, you know, most employers today are that flexible that you turn around and go, I want to work a, you know, four-day week or a three-day week or something like that. Most employers are happy to accommodate that. And so the actual world today, when I started out my businesses, there was no such thing as side hustle, right? You were either in or out. But today, you can actually side hustle. A lot of people are doing that, um, you know, working nights, working weekends, taking a day of work a week, becoming a four-day-a-week person, and then going, well, this is working. Now let's go to three days. Let's go to two days. Now let's give up the salary because we think we can make it on our own. Yeah. So it's a transition process. The advice that I give every person I mentor is on the back of my book that says, you just have to dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. So, so as much as planning that you do, as much of the setups that you do, you have to be flexible enough to adjust the course while you're on it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Such great advice. Scene two, develop your talent. Having had a near-death experience, which you explained or mentioned in the, in the film trailer, you talk about how you discovered your purpose in life. You describe it as drawing from a rich experience, of course, of your businesses and entrepreneurship and achievements and sharing that on a global scale with entrepreneurs on stage, as you said. Now, regardless of our industry, what is the link between purpose, which is you discovered that purpose and talent? Because to be honest, I can be really good at cooking, but I might not have a purpose to cook for loads of people and make that into a business. So if you can explain a little bit about that. Okay, so so it's interesting. So let me, I'm gonna use an analogy that I use a lot of people. So when you first meet someone at a networking function and you walk in and someone says, hey, my name is, well, my, my name's Rail, okay? So, hi, my name's Rail. What do you do, Kat? And now you would say, you would generally start off with, I do, X, yeah. right? Whatever that X is. And that's your what. What is it that you do? Because that was the question I asked. And then if it's interesting to me, or most people, I, I make a point of trying to make more conversation, but a lot of people go, okay. Whereas, and the next question would be, how do you do that generally? But they never get to the why. Mm. And so I get people to prepare to go to a function where they're going to meet new people, to write down the what they do, the how they do it, and the why they do it, and then turn that piece of paper upside down. So that when they start, when you and I say to you, what do you do? You say, I bring to the world of creatives and entrepreneurs a new view on you know, on their creative journey abroad in new countries. Oh, that's interesting. How do you do that? Well, I run a series of podcasts and videos. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a podcast and video host. Now I've turned your job around mm -hmm. upside down, but by starting with your why, with your passion. Okay. So, so can you, so your question to me was, is there a link between purpose and talent? I think there is, but sometimes your talent needs to be tempered because sometimes the most creative and talented people in the world are so far outside the square that they need a purpose that brings them inside the square 
and a purpose that th th there's no point in going into a business if there's no need for it. There was a cartoon I saw many years ago by Scott Adams, a Dilbert cartoon, and one of my favorite cartoonists. And, and he had a thing about, you know, come and buy a nose puppy, only $2. And someone said, what's a nose puppy? He said, it's a thing that goes on your nose. Now, useless conversation, but, but you know, um, it, it is about that passion and talent. The person who was selling it had a passion for making these things. There was no sort of purpose that met other people's purposes. So you have to be clear on your purpose. So my purpose is, you know, taking my experience and bringing it to the world and bringing it to entrepreneurs about how to make their businesses more rich and robust cultures and, and grow their businesses. So that's my, my purpose. How does that fit in with my talent? Well, I've run these businesses. I've taken that experience, and that's what I'm translating now into that. Yeah. I just think that a lot of people, particularly creatives, and I admire them because I'm not necessarily creative in a visual art sense or a music sense. I have no idea. So that's, don't know where my son got that talent. <laughs> I have no idea. But the, 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 the creative, you have to still take your creative talent and your you, whatever it is and translate that into something that people need. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I, I met someone at a, at a networking function recently who told me she does landscape painting. I said, that's great. How many have you sold? She said, none. I thought, fantastic. Well, either she's a terrible artist or she didn't really understand that she's got this talent for painting. She has to do something with it where there is a market if she's going to be in business. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the toughest uh, questions when it comes to very passionate about something, wanting to do it like full time or thinking you have this great idea and you start off and you get all the things set up, but you haven't actually thought about the very, very important question of, are there people out there who need this, who want this? Um, and even if you're an artist, I mean, it's, I don't want to like, obviously it's just your art might not appeal to everybody. So you have to understand it is a thing that's not just you, it's not just within you. And because you love it, it's going to be successful. And, but there are skills you can learn to actually find your niche and kind of work around your talent, develop it so that it fits in so that you can make a business out of it. And that's the tricky part. That's what I aim to help people with is discovering all those skills they need to actually be able to do that and also to understand the things that's holding them back. So the big thing is, what would you recommend for an artist? I say artist, but it can be like a creator, like a podcaster, or it can also just be somebody who wants to bring some creativity into their business. If they're struggling to find their purpose, they just don't know. They like, like, how do they actually discover what the market wants, what people want? Just a couple of tips. Okay, so, so very quickly, the purpose is actually more about your own purpose but then it's a, then you have to understand what's in demand for the market so if your purpose doesn't align with anything in the market that's great and you have a passion and a purpose but it's not going to do anything in business and so finding your purpose what steps can you do to do it i mean we go through a whole process of of looking at different visuals and for eight seconds at a time and and rotating them and then saying, what did you see? Now, think back, what's your alternative view on that? Just to get people thinking. But it's also to get people thinking about that what, how, and why. Okay, and why are you doing it? Now, now if you, as a, you know, we use the example of the, of the painter who's painting landscapes. And, you know, yes, a few people like landscapes, but the current market for art is different to, to what they're passionate about. They really have to find a purpose to say, and, and, and goes back to what my son said, maintaining his passion for music, but studying something else where he feels he can make a difference in the world, but, you know, still maintains his passion for his music and his creativity through that. And so sometimes we have to take that raw talent and let's use an artist, a creative, somebody who loves that. Maybe they have to say, how do I apply that? to 
you know, advertising, corporate graphics. I know that those sound like really sort of boring outlets for someone who's a, you know, an oil painter. But conceptually, they're using the same visualization skill in something that people need because people do need creatives in their businesses. I, I relied for years on on someone who actually died, unfortunately, earlier this year, who was my graphic artist for many, many years, just because he would see things and do things that I would look at and go, I don't know how you got that, but that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's about taking that raw talent that he had. And by the way, he and his sister is a great friend of mine, has a number of his paintings his acrylic paintings that he painted as a hobby. Mm -hmm. He never, ever sold one. But his main business was a creative graphic artist. But his passion on the weekends was doing acrylic painting. Yeah. And so he managed to, to, to keep those two together. His purpose was making companies better at what they did. But his passion was his painting. And there was a difference between them. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things I mention a lot as well, is that it's absolutely fine to do something like graphic design or something that might not seem as arty or as like adventurous, but do that to get a normal salary in and then do the like normal or your more expressive work that's not necessarily linked to clients. Just thinking a little bit about this idea well, firstly, the intersection between business and art. This makes us a slightly uncomfortable, especially for artists. They don't always want to think about the more nitty gritty side of, say, if they want an agency or something a little bit more concrete in terms of business, like terminology, business plans, cash flows, investments. This is also sometimes things they don't know much about when they build a creative career. But even if you're just a freelancer, you do need to kind of understand some of this. Now, why is this a problem for people who have a drive to turn their creativity into a living? So why is it a problem for because they've got this barrier? Not Maybe not everyone, uh, but they do not know all the business side of things. I'm actually not a believer in that you have to have the business plan, the cash flow and everything else done on 27 spreadsheets before you go and get your first client. I'm not a believer in that at all. I, I mean, I do believe you have to have an understanding of finance. And and uh, unfortunately, even in my finance business, I see a lot of uh, of creatives, both music and artists and whatever, who, who, who actually rely too much on an external party. So they rely on their accountant to give them all this data. Nothing wrong with that, but they don't understand the fundamentals. So... So the problem is when, and, and I get it often, I get someone saying, oh, I'm too creative. I can't understand the numbers. But if you, that's okay. If you're employed as a, as a graphic artist, as a creative in an ad agency or somewhere where they're paying your salary and all you have to do is be creative. But once you take that, that, that uh, step off the uh, platform, off the diving platform and you've dived in as an entrepreneur, you actually have to accept that even though your talent is in the creative, we're not saying go and be an accountant, but at least go and take a course in business accounting 101 at the local college, just so that you can understand your numbers. Because, And I sound like a boring accountant when I say that, but you don't want to drag people down by saying, great, you've gone out there, you've done all this, and you've not made any money. But you want them to have an understanding of the stuff. But as I said, I'm not a person who believes in, and a lot of guys make their living as, as business coaches and mentors because they've got a system, and they tell people you have to do your marketing plan, your business plan, your budgets, all this kind of stuff. Yes, you do, but you don't have to formalize them. You have to know I've got $20,000 and I'm going to spend 5000 on advertising. And from that, I expect to get this. But I'm not going to commit 5000 today. I'm only commit 1000 And if I don't get a response, great. I'm going to change what I'm doing. It's about that flexibility. So 
I don't think that being building a creative career depends on your business plan, your cash flow, your investments, all these things. I think it depends on understanding your market more than anything else. Understanding what the market wants. And so, so in simple terms, it's finding what's the market's pain point and how do you take their pain away? That's business 101. And if you can take that pain away and you understand that if your time is worth $20 an hour and you're charging out at $50 an hour, you should be making money at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, you summarized that like perfectly. Like I don't even have anything to add to that. So thank you. And that actually leads into my next question, which I think you've already given the answer to. Any advice on business plans? Do you need something written down? Like, you know, if you start an agency or something? In 30 years or 30 plus years as an entrepreneur, I've never written a business plan ever. And I'm, I swim against, that's probably, you know, one of the things where I disagree with probably every business coach and every mentor in the world about written business plans and written goals and, you know, go and see the goals stuck on your mirror every morning or whatever. Not been something that drives me. Okay, but again, I go back to that one phrase on the back of my book. It says you have to dive in. If you don't dive in, you don't know what the water feels like. And once you're in, adjust your course. So, you know, as I said, you do the research, you work out what the pain points are, and then you find out what the solution is that you can deliver to solve those pain points. And once you've done that, then it's pretty easy from there. And I just wanted to point out, um, because it's such an important point, that this counts for when you start a podcast, for when you start a YouTube channel, a blog. It's not just, oh, I love talking to people and I'm going to talk about, or I'm going to talk to a wide variety of people. It's actually finding something that is, that people need to hear, that a solution to a problem, as you mentioned. Scene three, scaling versus growing, more money, less time spent. Once you've established the foundation for transforming talent into a profitable uh, purpose, the next step is growth. So with client growth, this equates more time spent normally because obviously more clients spend more time on each one. Scaling on the other hand is finding a way to gain more profit without necessarily having it cost more or having to spend more time on it. So what would growth versus scaling look like in if you want to explain it maybe in your own terminology and maybe draw it back to graphic design, a graphic designer. Yeah. So, so I mean, in, in any space, the, the, the truth of it is the working title of my book, although it ended up being called Dive In, the working title for a long time was Give Up Control to Gain Control. Okay. And what did that mean? It meant... Do the things you're good at, okay, and and outsource the things that you're not good at. Now, outsourcing today has become a bit of a dirty word, particularly in the creative industry, because there are tons of people outsourcing out of Southeast Asia at, at rates that I'm not sure how they're making a living doing that. And they're taking work from a lot of creatives in the rest of the world because companies are outsourcing to Southeast Asia. So I'm not using that term of outsourcing in that respect. But what I'm talking about is if you are the, the creative, you are the, 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 the person who goes, there's the idea, I've got it in my head, graphic designer, right? Well, you can probably find a young designer or another designer to work with you, and you go, my head's just exploded with this amazing idea, you know, this is what I want you to go off and do for me. And then you use your talent, which is those ideas, for the next client, for the next person. The, the truth of it is, in, a, in an industry like that, the, the creative is that epiphany, that idea, that light bulb moment. It's not the, the drum, the, the, the hum-ho drudgery of sitting on... on Adobe or something and actually doing the work. The actual idea, the, the, the visualization of that idea is what 
can give you the growth because if you can find somebody to do the the, the actual implementation of your idea, well, that gives you more time. And so it allows you to grow and scale at the same time because you, you're utilizing your talent at the best way possible, which is those creative moments that, wow, this is what this company needs. This is what we're going to deliver them. This is the campaign. These are the graphics. Now, you over here, go and implement that for me. So, so absolutely, that's how you do it. I mean, the videographer the, who is brilliant behind the camera and when they start their business, they're also the ones sitting on the editing suite editing it. Obviously, by just outsourcing the editing, you know, is one way of doing it. The other problem with that is you need some way of, of your creative genius being communicated to the person who's doing the work for you. Because in, they say do the $500 an hour revenue and outsource the $10 an hour admin tasks. And so that's what... The, 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 the scaling and growth mechanism is. It's about knowing what you're really, 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 really good at and finding people who can implement stuff for you at half your cost. Yes, and then just an important point to add there is, of course, finding somebody with the right talent. So, you, I mean, there are loads of people out there who tell, who call themselves all sorts. I mean, graphic designers, video editors, but they don't actually, they've not put in the reps and the development yet to to fulfill necessarily your vision as a creative. So it's, it's also understanding that it might take some time and not net, the cheapest is not necessarily the best, of course, even though it's very tempting sometimes <laughs> to use them. But, you know, use a movie analogy. The movie director is the creative by and large. The person behind the camera is being directed by them because they call the director. And the person in front of the camera, the actor, is being directed by them. Okay, and so if you think about the, the person who's incredibly good at taking multiple video scenes and putting it into a, a 30 second or 60 second advert that's just wow, like blows the socks off everyone. Well, they shouldn't be the one carrying the camera and shooting those scenes. They should be the one directing somebody on the camera to go and shoot those scenes and they should use their creative talent as the editor because that's what they're good at. And so, Although we think about the, the, the idea and then outsourcing the day-to-day -day stuff, sometimes you, you think about the best music producers in the world still sit at the mixing desk, listening in the studio, and tweaking the sound while it's being recorded. Yeah. Okay? There's no shortcut to that. Yeah, of course. So, and then just to... So there is obviously the the tasks that you you're gonna have to do, but then also thinking about sometimes how to box your expertise so that ooh, so that other people can um, learn from what you are really good at. Now, lastly, just to come back to purpose in life, which is helping others, of course, your purpose. Sorry, your purpose in life, which is helping others on their journey to business excellence. Currently, what do you think is subtracting from our potential to achieving excellence, thinking of our digital media age, and what should we invest in most to fulfill our purpose quicker? I, I think every single person I know suffers from imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Whether you're an amazing singer, an amazing graphic designer, an amazing videographer, I think everybody has that moment of doubt that subtracts from our true potential. Um, as a professional speaker, I stand on stage and, and, and I spoke in, in, in Nepal, in Kathmandu in Nepal, at a conference, and the audience did not react at all. For, nine, for 45 minutes, the audience sat there pan-faced. They didn't cross their arms. They just sat there staring straight at me. 
And afterwards, I went to the organizers and I said, did I bomb out? And they said, no, not at all. It was just the local audience. It was just they don't like to, to show their emotions. But lots of people came up to me one-on-one afterwards and spoke to me about the concept. So I got it. But when I walked off stage, I was really dejected because I went... God, what did these people actually, like, did I actually make an impact in their lives? And so that imposter syndrome, that, but that imposter syndrome can be your friend too because it causes you to take this reality check and go, you know, is what I'm doing going to fill a pain point in the market? Is what I'm doing going to help somebody else out there in the, in, in the space? And Sometimes we get too carried away and get too nervous about our own thing. We have to stop and say, okay, am I doing the right thing? And, and that's what subtracting is, is our real thought that we're not good enough. Yeah, I mean, that's something that you don't always think when you just get started. But then as you go along, the thought pops up more and more and more, especially like, Perhaps like when you said, when you, you're you on stage and you're not get quite getting the response or when, I think that's one of the biggest things, when you're not getting that immediate response, that immediate reaction, which kind of justifies what you're doing. And then you're like, am I doing the right thing? Am I actually good at this? <laughs> Should I go on? But then the idea is to just like really be very, very realistic about it. And if it is, if you do get that positive feedback, then yes, go on. If there's absolutely nothing um, and it's just been carrying on and on and on, you'll instinctively, you'll know, you'll know when you have to change and when you have to look for something else. So thank you so much for joining me today, Rail. It's a pleasure. I love chatting and sharing and I love your approach because I think it's, it is different. It is creative and it's answering a lot of people's questions who, who are listening to to other people or, you know, doing their research on Google. And I always say Google's not a synonym for research and don't have the answers to this, this at what point do I jump off the bridge creativity answer, creativity going into a business. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many questions and I would have loved to carry on discussing this in more detail, but of course you have, uh, you're, it's evening now. So you're probably waiting to, to go back home and, and end the day. Lastly, before we jump into round 42, the answer to life, the universe and everything, where can people find out more about you and anything you have to offer, any resource um, they might be able to dig into? Okay, so easiest is rail at railbricker.com or any of the social media, not any of them. So I'm only on three, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably the best place to contact me. Um, if anyone wants, and you can put in your show notes, um, if they go to railbricker.com slash free book, they can actually download a free copy of Dive In, Lessons Learned Since Business School. Um, and that's just an offer to your listeners on your show. Awesome. So round 42, it is now the end of the world. <laughs> Quick fire questions. The first one is a surprise one. It is, this was a very South African specific one. You have to pick only three South African dishes to eat the rest of your life because something terrible happened. It is the end of the world and only those three dishes can be made. Which three are they? Mm, steak, burrowos, um, and salmon. I'm a very protein-oriented <laughs> I was going to say a very balanced diet. I almost expected you to say biltong. Yeah, no, no, very protein-oriented. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think is the, oh, this is very South African-based questions. Biggest misconception about South Africa? That they only like Borovos and rugby. And there's just so much more depth to Africa. And particularly the last 20, 25 odd years since the, um, the first democratically elected government um, in 1994, uh, you know, it's been a completely different country and a completely different unleashing of talent. Mm-hmm. I so agree with that. And I can't wait to visit it again. It's such a beautiful country, so much potential there. And yeah, and there's just so many different places as well. 
What important truth do very few people agree with you on? Well, I believe that you have to just accept that business is not complicated. Business is simple. Just dive in and adjust your course. Don't get caught up in business plans, marketing plans, budgets. Understand a little bit about your numbers, enough to give you the courage to jump off and actually swim and adjust your course while you're moving. Yeah, and if I can just add one thing, I'm laughing at myself now because I actually did two business plans and both of them, the first one, I spent so much time on it just because I'm a writer. So I was like, I'm going to get this perfect. And I'm also like a designer. So I was like getting all the designs and stuff. And have I actually looked at that since I did? It's like spent days on it. No, maybe once or twice. <laughs> so yes, you're very right with that. And then last question, what would you do tomorrow if you were 20% braver? Um, I would probably have aggressively grown my business a lot more than I did. I know that's, I, I did take, once my business was growing and maturing, I actually took a, a kind of conservative approach, whereas I probably missed out on a couple of acquisition opportunities that would have made it, you know, a couple times larger than it is now. But I was probably driven by a leadership course that I ran a number of years ago, where we quoted from a book, which was stories from nurses in an oncology ward interviewing people on their deathbed. And not a single person said, I wish I'd spent more time at work. <laughs> You know, they spoke about family and holidays and enjoyment and, and direction. And so there were decisions I made, probably not about braveness, but about just wanting to run a, you know, a, a life-work balance. Awesome. Once again, thank you so much for sharing some advice, Rail. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Now, you know already that if you are a creator currently living abroad or you want to travel or you just want to find out how to make a living as a creative, say hello on Insta at creators.abroad or you can head over to my website, creatorsabroad.com to find more resources. Creators Abroad, obviously, we produce podcasts and videos. So if you're interested in capturing the heartbeat of your brand and stand out with Max Impact Media, get in touch, drop me a line. We'll talk about your project. Join me next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad. <laughs>